Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the, the Douglas, Douglas Coleman, Coleman Show. Show. Mr. Smooth and Savvy is joined by guests from all walks of life. From the entertainment industry to authors to political and social commentators, the famous and not so famous, the controversial and the light and fluffy, we have it all. Now, here's Douglas Coleman. Okay, please welcome to the Douglas Coleman Show, Dr. Stephen Furlich. Hello, doctor. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's nice to have you here. I'm looking over your bio. It says that you are an associate professor at Texas A&M. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, I teach communication and research communication. Oh, all right. What does the A&M stand for? Uh, agricultural and mechanical. So it's a very strong um, um, engineering and then also agriculture as well. Okay, I never knew what that stood for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard the name of the university. It's been around a long time, I think. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah. Yes. You know, I just never knew what the A&M stood for. Well, thank you for that. I learned something today. So you've got a new book out called Nonverbal Epiphany. Um, you've also got a book out called Sex Talk. When did that one yeah. come out? Uh, that was 2021. And basically, that book overviews the social behavioral differences between men and women and the biological explanations uh, as to why, such as brain structural differences and sex hormone differences. Oh, okay. Are the books related in any way? Not too much. There's just a slight overlap or, of topics in terms of uh, gender differences. But other than, other than that, the first book was... Uh, communication differences between men and women, and then the second one is primarily just focused on nonverbal communication, understanding other people, and sending your messages more effectively as well. Okay. So the new book, uh, Nonverbal Epiphany, is um, dealing specifically with nonverbal communication that is subconscious. Would that be correct? Yes. Uh, a combination of both. So some that's intentionally, some that's unintentionally. And the biggest thing is a lot of it is just what we're not even aware of. It's a whole world out there that people aren't even um, uh, aware that those messages are being sent and understood between people. I think poker players have a real good sense of that, if they're good poker players. Yes. 
And that's a good point. I have a chapter on deception, and I uh, write about a study that was done about poker players themselves. So when you watch a poker tournament on TV, what do you usually see? You see them wearing a hat and sunglasses, and they're trying to cover you know, their facial expressions, not to give out some nonverbal indicator about their hand. But what research is showing as the most um, precise and effective way to understand the hand of another poker player is the extremities, so such as their hands. How do they move the chips towards the middle of the table? How confident and how smooth do they move, move them versus something that's a bit more shaky, and that's a better tell of their hand as opposed to trying to look at their face. Oh, that's interesting. How did you get interested? And, that, and that's, one of the princip- that's one of the principles as well is that the more extremities, uh, people don't monitor those nearly as much as their face. So if you're having a conversation with someone and you're facing them, but then you uh, glance down, you see that one of, their, one of their feet points towards the door, that means they're not really uh, enjoying the conversation and they want to leave. Maybe they're being deceptive or they don't like the conversation or whatever else, but it's telling you that they're not as engaged as what they want you to believe. If their feet are pointing towards the door, is that what you said? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. How did you get interested in this particular topic? That's a good question. So early on as a child, um, I was always interested in uh, nonverbal communication and read books on it. And researchers showing over decades that uh, females from an early age are superior with nonverbal communication. Girls, they tend to look at other people's faces much more so early on as babies. Boys, we tend to track objects. So I didn't have as accurate understanding of social interactions as what I would have liked to. So I had interest in nonverbal communication. So then I taught um, I took uh, undergraduate class in nonverbal and then a graduate one also in nonverbal uh, as a student. And then I have taught nonverbal communication for over the last 10 years. And I couldn't find a book that met my needs. So there's a lot of books out there on nonverbal communication and popular culture, but they're not that research based. So how credible are they with their findings and conclusions? And there's a lot of textbooks out there in academia that's heavily research-based, but they're not that applied. So that's, some, so that's what I tried to accomplish in my book was have it based upon research, but then have it where people could use it in their everyday lives. And I have an activity at the end of each chapter that people, people could actually apply what they just read. Well, aside from being uh, an FBI you know, seeing if somebody mm-hmm. is lying or not. What what application is this for the average person? I mean, what benefit would they gain by being able to read nonverbal communication uh, from someone else? That's a good question. So um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's a large percentage. Um, I want to think it's like 60 to 70 percent of all conversations have some level of deception in it. So in our everyday conversations, tr- getting a better understanding of someone's true intentions uh, helps you better understand uh, what their messages are and also what their intentions are as well, and then also having a better understanding of ourselves. So one of the things that I want to stress throughout the book is to understand from the other person's perspective much more so than just from the way that we see the world. 
Okay. The word I was looking for was interrogator <laughs> for the FBI. Oh, okay. That uh -huh. was the word I missed in the sentence. But uh, okay. Well, can you give us a little, uh, maybe a couple of examples of common ones that people have that yes. they might not even realize that they're doing? One of the things I would like to do is uh, talk about um, this topic that uh, you brought up in terms of interrogation, deception, things like that. And just like I already talked about, there's probably the majority or a large percentage of conversations we have with just everyday people, family, friends, this and the other. There's a little bit of deception out there. So I have a whole chapter on deception and professionals who are trained in, uh, to detect it, such as interrogators, military, FBI, they're only about 60% accurate. So something that's um, rather popular and profound in our everyday life we just don't understand that well, and there's a number of reasons. So what I try to um, stress is that people understand it as a puzzle, that you're putting individual pieces of the puzzle together and then come up with a conclusion rather than overemphasizing um, only one behavior. So here's a few different pieces for deception. If the person looks to the left, that often indicates that they're being more truthful. It activates the right side of the Marine. Whereas if they look to the right, then that often indicates that they're being deceptive and they're trying to fabricate something because that uh, activates the left side of the brain. One thing that people are uh, usually misguided with in terms of deception is that it's out there in popular culture that we usually look for eye contact. And if someone's not making eye contact or avertant eye contact, and that means they're being deceptive. But what research has actually found is that those people, that people when they're trying to be deceptive, they actually maintain eye contact for longer periods of time than what they normally do. So what you want to do is you want to have a conversation with someone about topics that are unrelated to what you're trying to investigate, the weather, sports, whatever, find out what their baseline is, what's their individual communication style, how long do they usually maintain eye contact? And then during the conversation, do they look to the left? Do they look to the right? How long is their eye contact? Is it more or is it less than what they usually do? Um, and then also one of the main researchers in our field, Burgoon, what she has found is that it's so daunting and it takes so much mental effort to be deceptive what you said and what you're about to say that when someone's being deceptive, they actually use fewer nonverbal behaviors and they use the same ones over and over. And they're also less uh, less spontaneity as well. Okay. You had mentioned that uh, sometimes people, when they're trying to be deceptive, will actually hold eye contact for longer. Is that sort of like an overcompensation? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're exactly right. And that's, uh, you know, I write that in the book about the research that, that people overcompensate for what they think people are looking for, because that's what we see on TV and movies and everything else, that you're looking for someone not making eye contact, so they overdo it. I see on here it says some areas covered are gestures, facial expressions, vocal changes, mm -hmm. colors, and measurement proportions, mm -hmm. to mention a few areas. What Colors. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that one. Okay, so uh, in terms of colors, how that influences um, our understanding, our biology, and other things like that. So, um, for example, uh, warmer colors, they tend to excite us much more so. So the bright colors, the red, the yellow, 
And what that does, um, it, it makes more arousal for us. So what's been found is if you use a multimedia presentation such as the PowerPoint and you use more warm colors, the reds and the yellows, the audience actually has uh, increased comprehension of your presentation because it's more stimulating. Whereas with the cool colors, the uh, like the dark blue, the dark green colors, those commas down and uh, the audience is less likely to remember those types of uh, uh, information. So if you're designing a house, you probably want the cool colors, the darker colors, the dark blue, the dark green for the bedroom to relax you. And then you usually want the brighter colors, the red, the yellows that excite us uh, much more so maybe for the kitchen or some sort of entertainment room. One of the things that uh, you could uh, look around and find is that the color blue is often in a lot of logos for large corporations. Think of maybe IBM. They're actually called in, uh, you know, unofficially Big Blue, Google, Facebook, uh, the financial firms. They tend to have blue in their logos. And that's usually the color is usually associated with trust that the ocean, the sky are both blue. That's trusted that that's been around forever. It's always going to be around. And then they want to tag along on that association as well. Another thing that's been found is that uh, men, when they wear the color red, uh, women find them much more attractive with a red shirt than maybe a uh, white shirt. And waitresses, if they wear a red shirt, they tend to get higher tips. And, and if they wear red lipstick, and then salespeople as well, if they wear the color of red, uh, they tend to be more persuasive as well. And women tend to have better color vision than what men do because color vision is on the X chromosome, and they also have more P cells in the retina. What's a P cell? Uh, it's in the uh, uh, retina, and it's for color and also for details. It helps you see more details. So you can sort of think of it, if I use a metaphor, that us men sort of see the movie in black and white and women sort of see it in color. So I have uh, an image in the book, and I have a color spectrum of all these different shades, and one side is a male, other side is a female, and it shows how many more different shades uh, women can see than what men can see. We've got just a couple of minutes left, and I want to hit one of the other talking okay. points on here. It says, which nonverbal okay. behaviors cross cultural lines and are universal? Okay. Uh, the, one, the top one that uh, pops to my mind is the eyebrow flash. So when you meet someone for the first, well, when you meet someone and you come in their presence, you know, uh, at the beginning, um, in less than a second, if they're happy to see you, they raise their eyebrows really quickly and then they lower them. Um, and that's a friendly universal gesture. Another thing that's interesting is uh, pupil dilation. And what's been found is that um, when you see a new stimuli, that your pupils often dilate. And then um, right afterwards, then um, your pupils stay dilated if it's something that you like and they contract um, if it's something that you dislike. So for centuries, a lot of salespeople have known this, um, such as uh, jewelry salespeople. And if you look at three different pieces of jewelry and your pupils dilate on the second piece, then you can see how they would want to try and jack up the price on that as well. Uh, something else is um, emotional contagion. So everyone experiences the universal five to seven emotions. 
it's just how we display those uh, alter slightly from culture to culture. So we all experience these emotions. It's just we display them a, a bit different from culture to culture. But yet there's emotional contagion that you can spread your emotion to another person's emotion uh, through your nonverbal behaviors. Um, um, I could go, go over a few more if you want. Uh, okay. g- give us one uh, more. The, give us one more. Okay. Uh, the, um, the smile. So there's a difference between a genuine smile and a fake smile. Uh, the genuine smile, um, it takes longer to create, and there's more symmetry on both sides of the face, and the cheeks are raised uh, higher. And the big, and one of the biggest uh, uh, indicators is the crow's feet. So you have that wrinkling on the sides of the eyes, and uh, usually just have the top teeth uh, showing. So that's a genuine smile, and only 10% of the people can fake a genuine smile when they're not genuinely happy. I mean, some people have an obvious fake smile. Do people actually have to practice that, or are they just gifted with uh, <laughs> with that ability? Uh, um, to, to be able to fake it well, yes, you have to practice it, and that ten percent is aligned with the number of uh, the percentage of people who have personality disorders as well. So there's probably something in line with that. They're not necessarily in touch with reality, and it helps them fake it much better. That would be my guess. Well, maybe that's why actors are so good with that. And um, if you look at uh, models, uh, images on magazines or on websites or whatever else, pictures of them, they often do the fake smile because that's what their moneymaker is. If they're going to be uh, taking a few hours throughout the day of doing a smile, you can't have crow's feet on the side of your eyes throughout that entire time. Otherwise, that's going to create permanent types of wrinkles. So they go with the fake smile. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Well, Dr. Furlich, thank you so much for coming on this show. The book is called Nonverbal Epiphany. Uh, is the book out now? Uh, yes, it's available on Amazon. If you go to the books category and then just type in my last name, Furlich, F-U-R-L-I-C-H, it pops right up. Okay. Last question. Do you have a website you want to give out? Uh, I do. It's uh, drstephenfurlich.com. Okay. And is there information about your books? on there yes. as well. Uh-huh. All right, super. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was interesting. And thank you for telling me what A&M meant because I uh, <laughs> never well, knew that. Thanks for having me and your interest in the topics. I, I, I enjoyed these questions that you had that people could actually use and apply to their lives. Well, again, nice meeting you and uh, best of luck with your book. Okay, thanks. Have a good one. 